Well, last week we talked about not taking matters into our own hands. That instead what we want to do is leave situations in God's hands. And our job is to hand out grace as God gives us opportunity. And that's really great and important. We came and many of us laid our burdens at the, at the Lord's feet last week. And we took them out of our hands and put them into God's hands. And I'm glad for that. But suppose you're here this morning and you're saying, I- I've done that. But nothing's changed. I'm back, it's a week later, and nothing has stopped. I mean, last week we talked about what if you're in a marriage where one partner, where, where your spouse is being selfish. And I encourage you, don't take matters into your own hands. Don't judge your spouse. Don't try to uh, enact punishment. But instead, leave it in the Lord's hands. Maybe you've been being the unselfish spouse. And nothing's happened. Maybe last week wasn't the first time that you heard the encouragement, leave it in the Lord's hands. You've been doing that. And it seems like God hasn't shown up. Last week we talked about being the godly grandparent. If your grandkids aren't being raised the way that you would want them to, not taking matters into your own hands. But what if you've been that godly grandparent? What if you've been doing the right thing and nothing seems to happen? It's possible to get frustrated. It's possible to want to throw in the towel to say, well, look, I tried that. I tried to leave it to God. It hasn't, God hasn't done anything. Well, this morning we want to think about that because in the life of David, we're back with David on the run. And David finds himself running from Saul again. And if you're here last week, you should be saying, what? Wait a minute, wasn't there this confrontation in this cave in En Gedi? Yes, there was. Didn't David turn the situation with Saul trying to kill him into God's hands? Didn't he not take matters into his own hands? He didn't kill Saul? He left it in God's hands? Yes, he did. Didn't David distribute grace as God gave him opportunity? Didn't he warn Saul that this was not the path he wanted? He did exactly what God would have wanted him to do. Yes, he did. And didn't Saul hear this warning and didn't he repent And didn't he say, David, you're the righteous one. I'm the unrighteous one. I'm going to stop doing this. Yes, he did. But it didn't take. And so Saul decides again he wants to kill David. And so we're back into the story again, and David's on the run again. And the reason why I think God wants us to look at this passage that we're going to look at this morning is because it's one thing to sort of leave something in God's hands once. It's another thing to have to do it again and again. It's one thing to have a problem or a difficult situation, say, I'm turning that over to God. It's another thing to live in the tension of waiting for God to come and do something. And this morning we have an opportunity to look at the life of David and see how he handles the same situation as it repeats itself again. The same temptation. We're going to find in today's story that David is again tempted to kill Saul. He's again tempted to take matters into his own hands. And this morning we have the opportunity to see what God is saying to us when we have to again and again try to do the right thing. 
And one of the beautiful things about the passage we're going to look at is that in this passage, David gives us the principle. The principle that he's using that allows him to make the right choices. Not the first time, of course the first time, but again and again and again. And it's that principle we want to look at this morning. So if you would, take a Bible and turn to 1 Samuel 26. 1 Samuel 26, if you need a Bible, there's one in front of you or underneath your seat. It's page 211, and those Bibles, 1 Samuel 26. As you're turning, if you have an NIV, there's not going to be any secret as to what this chapter is about. Chapter 24, the NIV's heading for the chapter is David Spares Saul's Life. Chapter 26, the one we're looking at this morning, the NIV heading is David again spares Saul's life. It's the same story. Now, the details are slightly different. But it's in the fact that he's doing something again that we're going to draw our principle this morning. But let me tell you the story, and then we'll look at the principle together. So the story is this. Last week, David and his army were hiding in a cave, and Saul happened to come in there. This week, Saul's with his army, and David and his men are away. But as Saul's army encamps for the night... David and his men see them down in their camp and they're all asleep and Saul's encamped in the middle. His army is surrounding him. David says, who wants to go with me into the enemy camp? And Abishai, one of his captains, says, I'll go with you. And so the two of them sneak into camp. Now Saul's in the middle. Everybody's around him. But they easily make their way through all these sleeping soldiers, all these guards to King Saul. And we're told they're able to do this. Because God had caused a deep sleep to come over the entire army. So these men are dead to the world. Nothing's going to wake them up. David and Abishai make their way to Saul. And there they're standing. He's asleep before them. So just like last week, he's defenseless. The circumstances are slightly different. But there he is, laying before the two of them, sound asleep. And we pick up the story in verse 8. Abishai said to David, Today God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of my spear. I won't strike him twice. But David said to Abishai, Don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord himself will strike him. Either his time will come and he will die, or he will go into battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Now get the spear and water jug that are near his head and let's go. So again, just like last week, David has the chance to kill his enemy. Just like last week, David refuses to take that matters into his own hands and instead entrusts himself to the Lord. And again, just like last week, As David is leaving, when he is far enough away so that there is the safety of distance, he has a conversation with Saul. And he says to Saul, hey, look, I got your spear. I got your jug. Where do you think I got those from? They were right by your head. I was standing over you and I could have killed you. And in the middle of their conversation back and forth, we hear the principle that David is using. That's motivating his actions. And that principle is found in verses 23 and 24. David's still talking to Saul. This is what he says to him. 
The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and faithfulness. The Lord delivered you into my hands today, but I would not lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. As surely as I valued your life today, so may the Lord value my life and deliver me from all trouble. How is David able to do the right thing over and over again this second time that he faces this temptation? How is he able to do the right thing? It's because he understands this principle. Verse 23. The Lord rewards every person for their faithfulness and righteousness. Because David understands that principle, he's able to keep doing the right thing again and again. And so it's this principle that I think God wants us to look at this morning and really understand what it says. So let me make a couple of observations about the principle. Again, it's verse 23. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and faithfulness. First thing to notice is the word rewards is actually the Hebrew word for returns or repays. It's a compensation word. Basically what it's saying is the Lord pays back good to those who do good. That's David's point in verse 24 when he says, look, Saul, I'm trying to value your life because I know that if I value your life, God's going to value my life. He's going to pay me back good for doing good to you. And so the, David, the, the, the essence of the principle is not simply that God just kind of chooses randomly to do good things to people. The essence of the principle is the Lord pays back or rewards or returns good to those who do good. Second thing about this principle is it says that the Lord rewards everyone for their righteousness and faithfulness. Now those are nice theological terms, and we might, by reading those, think that they're two separate things, but in reality they refer to the same thing. We could read it. The Lord rewards every person for his faithful righteousness. In simpler terms, the Lord rewards those who do the right thing again and again. That sort of consistently doing the right thing, that's the word faithful. And what David is saying is, is that, yes, God is happy when somebody does the right thing once. But the principle is, the Lord pays back good to those who do the right thing over and over again. That's why this principle is not in 1 Samuel 24. 1 Samuel 24 is fabulous, but that's the first time David is faced with killing Saul. Since that time, months have gone by, he also had the chance to take matters into his own hands and kill Nabal. He now has the chance to kill Saul again. And only do we see in this repeated doing the right thing over and over again, can David now articulate this principle. That's why we come back to the same story, but we view it from a slightly different point of view. It's great to do the right thing once, but David says you gotta understand, the Lord repays people who do the right thing over and over again. 
That's why this word faithfulness is so important. It's such a powerful word. You know, a couple of weeks ago, when we were in 1 Samuel 21 and 22, we looked at David as he first was on the run from Saul. And the very first thing he did is he goes to the priest's house and he eats the bread that it's not legal for him to eat. And I made the point that those who have an undivided heart for God are not bound by legalistic rules. That our connection to God is not about laws, it's about a relationship. The problem is, is that there's a danger that we swing the pendulum too far the other way. That we can all sit here and say, oh good, not about rules, I can do whatever I want. And there's a danger that we can go from legalistic rules all the way over into license and laziness. This is the principle that protects against that. Because David is saying, only when we do the right thing over and over again do we experience what he's saying in this chapter. So this is the safeguard against, we're not about legalistic rules, but God is not also about freedom to do whatever you feel like doing. The middle ground between the two is faithfulness. Faithfully doing the right thing again and again. Not legalistically obeying rules. Not doing whatever you feel like doing. But doing the right thing again and again. And the promise is, the Lord repays those who faithfully do the right thing. One more observation about this principle. Verse 24 As surely as I valued your life today, so may the Lord value my life and deliver me from all trouble. Notice it doesn't say, and keep me from all trouble. It doesn't say, will cause me to avoid all trouble. The principle is not, the Lord rewards those who do the right thing all the time and they never have anything bad happen to them. That's not the principle. In fact, David's in trouble right now. He's on the run from... The man wants to kill him. The man's got an army. And even though David has confronted him time and again with the fact that what he's doing is wrong, this guy is bent on destroying David. Now think about the situation from poor David's point of view. How's this going to resolve? David can't kill Saul. That's the wrong thing to do and David won't do it. Saul can't kill David because God won't allow it. So where are we going to go from here? It's an impasse. That somehow God's plans for both Saul and David require that David live in this tension. That he live in the middle of this tense situation. David has no idea how this is going to resolve. He thinks, well, maybe God will kill him. Maybe he'll die in battle. But right now he has no idea. But make no mistake about it. He is right in the middle of trouble. And so the principle he's holding on to is not that the Lord will keep me from all trouble. The principle he's holding on to is the man who does the right thing again and again. The Lord will deliver him. Now David gets no deliverance in this chapter. But he does get a little sign that deliverance is coming. Remember I said this when I first got up here that sometimes God gives us just a little bit of grace to tell us, don't worry, I'm here. I got a little piece this morning, just a very small thing for God to say, hey, look, I'm with you. David gets that in verse 25. 
So the deliverance hasn't come yet. But look what he gets. Then Saul said to David, May you be blessed, my son David. You will do great things and surely triumph. So David went on his way and Saul returned home. Now neither David nor Saul know this. But these are the very last words they will ever speak to each other. This is the very last time they will ever have a personal interaction. Saul doesn't die for a number of chapters. But this is the last conversation these two men will ever have. Notice the last thing David says to Saul. The very last thing he says to Saul is he articulates this principle. The last thing he says to Saul is, the Lord rewards those who do the right thing. Basically, Saul, you go ahead and do whatever it is you feel like you have to do. I'm telling you, you're doing the wrong thing. But as for me, I'm going to do the right thing and I'm going to keep doing the right thing. And if I find you another hundred times defenseless, I'm not going to kill you. Because the Lord rewards those who do the right thing over and over again. That's David's last words to Saul. Saul's last words to David. You're right. You're going to win. You will be triumphant. And here's that little bit of grace from God to David. In the mouth of his enemy, David is encouraged. He's on the right path. Deliverance is coming. It's not in chapter 26, but it is coming. And so God says through the mouth of Saul, David, keep going. I am going to deliver you from all trouble. But right now, David is in the midst of the tension. So the principle is saying, the Lord rewards those who faithfully do the right thing again and again. And he will deliver them from all trouble. Now, so important is this principle. It's inviolable. It's absolutely true. But it can be confusing. So let me tell you three things that the principle is not saying. Okay? It is not saying. First, it is not saying that those who consistently do the right thing will never experience trouble. That's the point I just made. We've got to understand this principle, but we don't want to make false inferences. The Bible is not saying that those who do the right thing never experience trouble. Secondly, it's not saying that those who are in trouble right now must not be consistently doing the right thing. If you're here and you're experiencing tension like David is, this principle does not mean you must be guilty of something. You may be guilty of something. I'm not saying that. But this principle doesn't say that. Okay? And number three, it also doesn't mean that God never blesses anyone except those who do the right thing. Any of these could be inferences you could draw from this principle, but none of them are valid. So if you see somebody in your life who's experiencing blessings from God, that doesn't automatically mean they are consistently being obedient. That's just simply a false inference. So let me restate the principle again. The Lord rewards those who consistently do the right thing, and he delivers them from all trouble. The Lord rewards those who consistently do the right thing again and again and delivers them from all trouble. That principle is absolutely essential for us to understand because it's inviolable. It's always true 100% of the time. Now, how do we apply that principle? How do we put that principle into practice in our life? 
I would dare guess that most of us this coming week are not going to find our enemy laying prostrate before us with a spear in our hand ready to kill him. It might happen. If it does, you do know what to do. Don't kill him. But how can we take this principle and put it in practice in our lives? Well, as I prayed through it this week and asked the Lord for specific applications, a couple of them came to mind. They came to mind in part because of New Testament passages that the Lord brought to mind that seemed to be connected to this principle and restated. For example, in Luke chapter 6, verses 37 and 38, Jesus says, Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. That's the same principle. David says, I value in your life because God's going to value my life. This principle says, if you judge other people, you're going to experience a judgment of God. Don't condemn and you won't be condemned. Same principle. Well, the first half of that verse tells us that the application of the principle is just what we said last week. Don't take matters into your own hands. That if you're in a marriage where one partner is being selfish, don't take matters into your own hands and try to punish him or try to punish her. Be gracious and warn them this is not the way to go, but leave it in God's hands. If you are a godly grandparent and your grandkids are not being raised in the way God wants them to, don't condemn the children or your children-in-law. Don't try to punish them. Instead, as God gives you opportunity, be gracious to them. That same application from last week, and the only point this week is, we've got to keep doing it over and over again. It's highly unlikely that one unselfish act in the marriage is going to fix the marriage. It's highly unlikely that one unselfish act as a grandparent is going to fix the situation. But the point from this week is, keep doing the right thing again and again. And the Lord promises he will reward that. And he will deliver you from all trouble. So the first application is just what we had last week. But interesting to me, a second application that we can get out of this comes from the second half of this passage. The second half of the passage has to do with finances. Basically what God's saying is, in Luke 38, as you are generous to others, God will be generous to you. After all, how did David value Saul's life? Well, he valued it by not killing him. How do we value others' lives? Well, we can value it by not killing them, that's true. But we can also value it by giving financially to those who are in need. When you give money to help somebody around you who's in trouble, you're saying, look, I value your life. This application is confirmed from another passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, which again, when you listen to it, says the same thing, same principle. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For the Lord loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food 
will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Same principle. That is, we are financially generous to others and therefore valuing their life and consistently doing the right thing over and over again when it comes to money. That promise says that God will deliver us, that God will take care of us. Now, one of the reasons I was thinking about this as an application for this week is that just a few weeks ago, on December 16th, 2012, we were substantially behind where we needed to be in our giving as a church. Now, it doesn't mean we were bouncing checks. That's not what that means. What it means is, is we have a certain amount of money that we think we need to take in each week in order that when we get to May or June or July, we don't bounce any checks. What that means is, is on December 16th, we were significantly behind what we thought we needed to be at in order to make it through the year. Now, as the pastor of the church, that's, that's stressful. <laughs> Because while we are paying our bills in December, what about May and June and July? How's that going to work? And so one of the things you ask is say, okay, well, why are we so far behind? Why are we so far behind what it is that we need to take in? Well, one possible explanation is that this past year, 2012, we took a number of significant offerings that were unexpected, that were above and beyond what we had budgeted for. In fact, there were three of them. The first, if you remember, about 11 months ago, I stood up here, we were going through Ephesians, we were talking about sharing generously, and we talked about our sister village in, in Mozambique, which had lost all their crops because of a flood, and we said, look, we gotta do something about this. We gotta help them, they're not gonna have any food. So we took an offering for uh, our sister village in Mozambique. That was not planned, it was not budgeted, we didn't know, have any idea it was gonna happen. That offering, if you go back and look at the numbers, we took in $67,485 in that offering. Well, as we moved from that offering, we then came to the season in which we were preparing for Easter. And we were presented uh, as a church with the opportunity to be involved in building a safe house uh, for Wedgwood Christian services that would be used to minister to women in West Michigan who had been trafficked. When that opportunity came to the leadership of the church, we prayed over it and felt strongly this is what God wanted us to do. So we took a special offering, it wasn't budgeted, called the Manasseh Project offering. The Manasseh Project offering was $120,964 that we took in for that. You may also remember that in June I got up here and said because of the difficult economic times, our benevolence fund has been pretty much decimated. There's, not, there's no money in it. We took a special offering in June above and beyond our normal benevolent offerings. We took a special offering in June to replenish that fund. And that benevolent offering that we took in June totaled $98,332. Now that's a lot of money. That's great money. That's wonderful. The problem is, is all of that money left the doors of Calvary Church. Not a penny of that went to our budget. Now it's good stuff. It went to Africa. It went to our community. It went to help those who are in need, but you could have made the argument that if we hadn't given money to those things, there would have been money available to help us meet our budget need. Now, the reason I make this connection is if you add those three numbers together, 
you get 286,781. That's how much money we gave in unplanned offerings that left the doors of this church to go and bless those in need. Now, I said to you on December 16th, we were behind. The reason I picked that day is that's the day that we were the furthest behind. Do you know how far we were behind on December 16th? 282,386 dollars. Almost a one-for-one number. Now, the point is, we literally could have said, hey, look, if we don't send that money out there, we've got all the money we need plus 4,000-some dollars. We would be potentially plus if we hadn't sent that money out. But you know where we are today? We're not $286,000 behind where we need to be. Nor are we even. We are $93,000 ahead of where we need to be. Do you know who did that? That's this principle. God's saying, look, the Lord rewards those who faithfully do the right thing over and over again. He delivers them from all trouble. It's not that we have no trouble. Trust me, December 16th, that's a stressful week. It's hard to look at those numbers. We're getting together and talking about, okay, well, what do we got to do here? What spending will we have to cut? How's this going to go? And God's saying, look, I've got this. You did what I asked you to do when I gave you those projects. You did the right thing. I will take care of it. And you know what? I'm here just to say thank you. God just opened up the floodgates of heaven. And not only did he make up everything we gave, he gave us more. That's this principle. The Lord pays back those who faithfully do the right thing and delivers them from all trouble. And I'm sure many of you here can testify about this principle with regard to your own personal finances. Have you not experienced that during times when you didn't seem to have much money or things were tight, you continued to give, you continued to do the right thing and God blessed that? Have you, can anybody raise their hand and testify and say, yeah, I can look back, this principle is true. It's not that I've avoided all financial trouble. In fact, you and I can probably point to significant periods in our life where there was great financial stress. But we kept trying to do the right thing over and over again, and God rescued us. That's this principle. The Lord rewards those who consistently do the right thing over and over again. He delivers them from all their trouble. So the second application is not only not taking matters into your own hands. Second application is how you and I deal with our personal finances. There's a third application, and it comes from Galatians chapter 6. This too, when you hear me read the passage, it's, going to, it's the same principle. It's just worded slightly differently. In Galatians 6, Paul says, Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. <clears throat> Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that sinful nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Now, just like in Luke 6, we started with don't judging and moved to money. In Galatians 6, we start with money, which is verse 6, 
and then move to service. And the point is, let us not become weary in doing good. In other words, keep doing the right thing, be faithful to do the right thing in serving others, and in due time, we will reap a harvest. The other reason why I thought about this application this week is we have a team from our church who's currently on a short-term missions trip in the country of India. Now, in India, it's a very interesting country. In 1793, a man named William Carey, who's really the start of the modern missions movement, felt compelled in his heart that he actually needed to take the gospel overseas. Now, we do that so much now, that doesn't seem foreign to us, but at the time, nobody was doing that. And William Carey felt compelled that the people of India were dying without Jesus. And so he left and went to India under great hardship. And in 1793, he arrived there. And for seven years, he faithfully preached the gospel week in, week out, month in, month out, year in and year out. And at the end of seven years, absolutely zero people had come to faith. Nobody. Not one person had responded. We have his diaries. In there, he's written time and again how frustrated he was at the lack of fruit, how discouraged he was, how hopeless the situation seemed to be. But he didn't give up. He kept being faithful, doing the right thing over and over again, trusting that this principle must be true, that God will reward those who keep doing the right thing. And on December 28, 1800, in the Ganges River, William Carey baptized the first Hindu convert, a man named Krishna Paul. And from that moment to today, God has simply opened up the floodgates of heaven and there has been a great harvest of souls, millions of people who have come to faith. And that our team that's in India right now is in many ways there reaping part of the harvest that William Carey sowed 200 years ago because he believed this principle and it worked out to be true. That those who keep doing the right thing over and over again, God will reward and we will reap a harvest. So those of you who are here who have served faithfully in children's ministry year after year, this principle says God is going to reward that faithfulness. For those of you that have been involved in the parking lot, and have served faithfully week after week, God rewards that. For those of you who come early in the morning to pray for our services, or pray throughout the day or throughout the week for the services, God rewards those who faithfully do the right thing again and again. For those of you who are praying for a family member or a friend and have been praying for them for years and years that they might come to faith, the principle is the Lord rewards those who faithfully do the right thing Again and again, he will deliver them from all trouble. And so whether it has to do with the situation that you're in that you want desperately to take matters in your own hand, just like David, some situation you want to rescue yourself out of, maybe you came last week and you laid that on the stairs and left it at God's feet. The point from this week is you've got to keep doing that again and again. But the hope is, the promises, the absolute assurance of this inviolable principle is that if you and I keep doing the right thing, if we keep being the unselfish spouse, if we keep being the godly grandparent, if we keep being the person at work who does the right thing, that God will reward those who faithfully do the right thing. 
He will deliver us from all trouble. That in the area of finances, that is we as a church, this church has been generous. It was generous long before I got here and Lord willing, it'll be generous long after I'm gone. I'm so proud of that about this church. If we keep doing the right thing, God will take care of the finances. When it comes to serving, you know what? I would love if every week thousands of people came to faith. I would love if every week every sermon was fantastic. I would love if every week everything went great. But that's not the principle. The principle is we serve faithfully week in and week out and continue to do the right thing over and over again. And if we do not grow weary, we will reap a harvest in due time. How does God want you to apply this principle in your life? Is it one of these situations? Is it finances? Is it an area of service? Is it somewhere else? This is a universal principle. David articulates it. Jesus affirms it. Paul says it at least twice. God rewards those who do the right thing again and again. He delivers them from all trouble. I said in the sermon that this principle, the Lord rewards those who consistently do the right thing, is an inviolable principle. It is always true 100% of the time. Now some may be thinking, but wait a second. What about when it comes to my salvation? I thought the point was is that I had consistently done the wrong thing over and over again. And God rewards me not with what I deserve, but with what I don't deserve. Doesn't that mean that principle is not true when it comes to salvation? I don't think that's the case. God always rewards those who faithfully do the right thing. And the problem is that before we knew Jesus, we consistently did the wrong thing, which meant we were in trouble. But because that principle is true, God sent his son Jesus so that he could live a consistently faithful life and earn from the Father the reward of eternal life. Same principle. It's just we were disqualified from it because we never met up to it. And so what we could not accomplish in our own strength, God accomplished for us in Jesus. And here's the good news, is that those of us who by faith acknowledge Jesus as Lord receive the reward that he has earned that comes to us. The principle is not null and void. That's actually the gospel. The gospel is, is that God rewards those who consistently do the right thing, but no human ever has consistently done the right thing except for Jesus. And so if you're here this morning and you're thinking, I've not consistently done the right thing, I've got good news for you. Jesus has. And if this morning you will acknowledge him as Lord, if this morning you will accept him as Lord, then the reward that he has earned from God will be given to you. And you will be set free to begin to live in the kind of faithful, righteous way that God always rewards. And so if today you do not understand that, if you, if you don't understand how you can have eternal life, I'd love to talk to you about that. I'll be available down front. Susan will also be available. Please come down here. We'd love to share with you. How, no matter how consistently bad you've been, because Christ has been consistently good, you can have the reward of being delivered 
from eternal condemnation so that you might have life. 